So last week, Reverend Lee and I introduced this fall's message series, Failures, Frustrations, and, and Fresh Starts. And as often happens, there was some stuff kind of left on the cutting room floor when we were talking about uh, the inevitable walls, challenges, and impediments that all of us face just simply because we're alive. And so I want to create a bridge from last week to this week by showing you what was left on the cutting room floor with this little video. Who does not want to cheer for the climbing hamster? I got to take a look at your heart if you don't want to cheer for this guy. So we have the guiding spirit animal, if you will, of this message series. So what the series is grounded in, failures, frustrations, and fresh starts, is about what many different teachers call growth mindset, which is the fact that we are all going to encounter difficulties in this life. We are all going to face challenges, walls, impediments, things that get in our way that keep us, we think, from perhaps becoming the people that we want to be. And a growth mindset says that it is not simply that there are these challenges and the point is to get over or through them or around them. It's actually through these challenges and through these difficulties that we grow. This is the growth mindset. And I got to tell you, as a, as a minister for, God, now almost 20 years or so, and as an aspiring social worker for the last barely year, um, I believe in a strength-based approach to this life. Now, what I mean by strength-based is that this thing that many of us do to ourselves, I know I have, I have a very ruminating mind. It is one of my habits. It's a habit I am working continuously on breaking. One of the things I can do, and it's one of the things I know many of us can do, is focus all the time on our deficits, our defects, our faults, all the ways in which we think we suck. And we spend a lot of time kind of grooving into our minds, going through those neural pathways, and pretty soon, what's that saying? You know, if all we have is a hammer, everything is a nail. And a strengths-based approach doesn't say we don't have these difficulties, because we do. But... An actual better way to grow is not to work so much on what we're not good at, but to develop what we're already good at and we like doing and to grow in those places and actually see that because of that, we may have more openness within our hearts, within our lives, to actually in time attend to those things we're not so good at. I think a mature strengths-based approach doesn't overlook, isn't a Pollyanna approach, doesn't overstate the difficulties, or doesn't understate them. And so what I want to do is I want to hone in on a particular moment, that moment when the little guy is like barely hanging on. <laughs> and I don't know much about hamster psychology, but I know a little bit about human psychology. And I'm going to bet at this moment that the hamster has one distinct uh, beneficial part of who they are that human beings don't. This hamster is not telling themselves that they suck. This hamster is not telling themselves, oh my God, you are such a loser. This hamster is not telling themselves all the things that they should have done to prepare. I'm not in shape enough. I'm not good enough. I used to be stronger than this. This hamster does not talk crap about itself to itself. 
I would venture even more to say that hamster heads are places of distinct mercy and grace compared to what goes on inside of many of our heads when we find ourselves approaching or hanging on barely at the wall, wondering if we have what it takes to make our way over. As I'm very open about, as I just was, this is a practice for me that I need all the time. I have decades of conditioning, of negative self-talk, of what we can call cognitive distortions. That when I find myself in difficulty, I go back to those loops and I run through them like a hamster in a wheel. (laughs) I'm going to murder this metaphor today, guys. (laughs) And the thing is, if I don't have some specific practices to get out of those loops, I'll just believe them all the way down. And I won't have the strength to be able to face the walls that are in front of me. In this way, I'm very similar to just about everyone else I know. It's really easy for us as human beings when we are in the midst of difficulty to invest our whole identity in that difficulty and to forget a wider perspective on who we are because in that wider perspective actually lies our possibility of growth and lies the possibility of remembering that even in the midst of difficulty, we can still develop our strengths, but we forget that. Many of us do. So there's a particular practice that I like. It comes from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. I've heard this from teachers for, for years, and it goes like this. When, you, when we have, as human beings, a particular um, negative emotion, We will, at least in English, those of us who speak English, construct it in this way. I am angry. I am sad. I am a loser. I am fill in the blank. Whatever one makes the most sense for you. And the construction in the Tibetan language is different. And for me, it really shifts the experience of what it is to be hanging on the wall with my fingernails. Instead of saying, I am angry, the phrase goes, anger is present. Notice how that might shift your own awareness. It's still there, not denying it. Rather than, I am angry, defining me, all of me, my entire experience. Well, anger is present. Or sadness is present or difficulty is present, or grief is present, which may also leave space for a whole bunch of things that we are simultaneously. Like Walt Whitman said, we contain multitudes, but in the midst of our walls and hanging on and trying to find a way over, many of us forget that our lives contain multitudes and we lose touch with a larger way of living. I like this practice, and I do practice it on a regular basis because for me it's a beneficial interruption of getting lost in those loops of negative self-talk. One of my favorite stories about this is from the Hebrew Scriptures, and I thought of it recently because it was that Friday a couple weeks ago when um, like, like it felt like all of the West Coast was on fire and most of the Houston area was underwater, and Florida, where I used to live for seven years, was facing down Irma, or Irma was facing down it. And I thought of this particular passage from, uh, it's the book of First Kings in the Hebrew Scriptures. And just to contextualize it a little bit, uh, it's a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah is doing what prophets do, which is speaking truth to power, and powerful forces don't like that. I mean, those of you who are following what's going on with ESPN right now, and the commentator Jamel Hill, 
If you don't know about that, go and look it up. When you speak truth to power about the nature of our world, people in power don't like it. <laughs> and they're going to strike back. And so this is what happens to Elijah. This is in this story is what is happening to Elijah. And he has run away. He has run away, I believe, to Mount Horeb. And he is hiding in a cave. And in this moment, he experiences the God of his understanding. Who, and I love this, too many God divine stories that are all about, you know, command. This is not a commandment. This is an invitation. This is a dialogue. This is a better story, I think. And so Elijah's hanging out there fearing for his life because they want to take his life away. And this is how it goes. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. After hearing it, it said, Elijah wrapped his face in his cloak and left the cave and then received a voice that asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if you know the story, and many of you might not, it's the exact same question that Elijah receives before he goes into the cave and the exact same answer he gives before the cave and after the cave. <laughs> with this one major difference. Now, rather than running away, Elijah goes back to being a prophet. Now, one of the reasons I love this story is that it doesn't say, you know, that storms and quakes and fires aren't terrifying. <laughs> they are. Literal or metaphorical in our lives. But the problem is, what this story points at, is that what happens when the trauma of these things of these terrifying walls so many of us face. The problem is that when it comes to define ourselves entirely. And so this story, let me borrow something from the Zen tradition, is more of a koan, a riddle. Now, koans don't tell us the truth directly. Koans invite us to put ourselves in the place of what's going on in this story and ask us, can we shift our perspective? So how I read this story is that Elijah had come to the place of such great fear and such great terror about his life that he thought God was the wind. And he thought God was the earthquake. And he thought God was the storm. And he thought God was the powerful people who wanted to take away his life. The most powerful reality he could imagine, he identified directly with the things with the walls that were threatening to do him in. And so what happens in this story? His awareness shifts. <laughs> Nothing changes. The facts are the same. 
but his consciousness emerges. And he remembers that he is not just his troubles. And he can answer that question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he goes back to living his life. And something Rodney talked about today, and I appreciate that, Rod. And we talked about the financial difficulties that you've been having as a self-employed person. Whether we know that ourselves, some of us do, I think, probably. Recognizing the power of that vulnerability. That many of us, so many of us, have these challenges in this life. And there's a paradox in vulnerability, right? It's like one of the key parts of Wellsprings that many of us have really gotten in touch with, which is that we often find our greatest strength when we embrace our challenges and we admit that we're having difficulties rather than just ignoring the wall or thinking the wall is everything. (laughs) You might right now in your life because of a relationship, because of a work situation, it might be the most troublesome thing, which is just simply yourself. (laughs) Find yourself like our little hamster friend, hanging there by your little hamster fingernails, wondering, can you find a way over? And here again, um, the hamster has an advantage over us, at least the hamster that we're seeing right here right now, which is it goes really quickly, doesn't it? But for some of us, it can feel like we are hanging by our little hamster fingernails off the wall. And it can take days or weeks or years, or maybe even it feels like a lifetime. So I've named all the way that the hamster has it over us, which feels like a very deficit-based way to view this story. And I said I wasn't going to do that. So let me flip it around because here, actually, I think there's one distinct advantage that we have over the hamster. And this makes all the difference for us as human beings. In that moment where we're hanging there by our fingernails, we have an invitation. As the great Unitarian minister, A. Powell Davies, minister of the All Souls Church in Washington, D.C., said over a half century ago, he said, life is nothing more than a chance to grow your soul. When we're hanging there, that's an invitation to grow our souls. Not just focus on the accomplishment, not just focus on getting over and getting past, but to grow in character and connection and community and to admit openly whether before a whole room of people or one person or a group of people, that yes, sometimes life is difficult. And embracing that vulnerability allows us to find cheerleaders, helpers, co-conspirators, people who let us know that we are not alone. I love explicitly, absolutely love explicitly, that our leadership covenant here at Wellsprings talks about sharing our gifts and developing who we are and the devotion that that takes, and then it names explicitly. I love this, I think, more than anything else, what we do here at Wellsprings. It says, the moments of failure, frustration, and fear, we treat these moments as our greatest teachers. I don't know any other context that I am a part of that says that. (laughs) That explicitly invites us to embrace our fears, frustrations, and failures. And knows that through these things, we do get a chance to grow our souls. Because here's the really cool thing. And again, this is where we have it as a strength-based thing over the hamster. How we are climbing the wall matters just as much of actually climbing the wall. 
Because the part that stays with us after we've accomplished that thing or after we've failed is the part that we get to keep with us. When we can climb the wall in a way that grows our souls, that's growing our character. And we take that with us onto the next thing. How we get over the wall is who we are. And that travels with us. I think ultimately what it gives us is something more than a focus on just simply success as it's often talked about in this culture. One of my teachers uh, in this way is this person. The young man in the wheelchair is Sean Hanlon. And the woman doing yoga with him is his mother, Carrie Hanlon. Now, I have met Carrie before. never met Sean. Carrie's one of the co-owners of what's called Yoga Home in Conshohocken, where I live. And so I go and I've taken yoga classes there. And it's a wonderful yoga studio because I think they get, you know, this is not just about moving our bodies. This is about growing our souls and enlarging our hearts. So Sean had a very severe form of cerebral palsy his entire life. He couldn't really move his limbs much at all without help. And the way that he could speak and communicate with other people, it's amazing. We live in a time like this. He was able to point out on a computer what he wanted to express to other people. That's how he connected. Sean lived with a number of respiratory illnesses. When we're immobilized, that can be a real risk for people who live that way. And so a number of years ago, I think when he was 13 or 14, he was hospitalized with a pneumonia that threatened to take his life. And, of course, Carrie, his mom, who loved him so deeply, so dearly, you know, the doctors are doing everything they could. And so she did the thing that she could. In his hospital room right there in the ICU, she rolled out her yoga mat, and she started to practice, particularly focusing on her breathing. And what she noticed is that after a while of her breathing mindfully and consciously and communicating with her son, that his breathing became less labored, less pained. He survived that time in the ICU. And what they found out is that, as they put it, yoga is good for everybody. And so they started this amazing program called Yoga for Everybody. And that is what Sean and Carrie are doing there. Practicing together. Being in their breath and in their body together in beauty and in love. Now there is a sad ending to this story. On August 31st, Sean died. He succumbed to the cerebral palsy that he had his entire life. He left a legacy of care and of love and of inspiration that, however, will not die. And this is what I mean by that wider focus than success, as we often talk about in American society. That truly is the thing that deforms our hearts. He died. I hate to break it to you folks, we all will. We know this, but we forget it. And I would ask, does that make us failures? Of course not. It's just part of being human. 
But the thing is, if we live in the society that says, you know, the one who dies with the most toys wins, then we're just going to focus on more. And then we'll only have a terrible, miserable pity for people who die at 18 years of age. But that is the most spiritually immature thing we can experience. There has to be something more than simply the four-letter word of more. Something deeper. And our tradition speaks of this all the time as Unitarian Universalists, that the greatest success, and I have no problem with success, I have no problem with ambition, I've gone back to school, I'm doing an internship, I'm doing this ministry, I like stretching myself, I like taking on new challenges. But what I'm learning in this busy point in my life is that I cannot define myself by those successes. Because if I do that, then I will miss something most powerful in this tradition, which is the greatest success is growth itself. Because eventually we will all come upon situations in which we don't know the way over, in which maybe we don't think we can make it work. But what I believe, standing before you today, at a particular cusp and time in my life that is meaningful for me, is that all our failures and frustrations are as true gains if they grow our heart's capacity to love. As the truth is, I stand here today, 12 years and two days ago, not as a sober person. And it is this Tuesday that I will celebrate 12 years of sobriety and recovery. And this is what I have learned more than anything else that the freshest start is a heart that is more able to love ourselves and others. In a life that has challenges and impediments and walls all over the place and that the greatest strength is in our vulnerability that is spelled out in a wonderful four-letter word that's not a four-letter word, which is sometimes simply when we ask for help. When we can admit that sometimes the walls we are facing we cannot get over entirely by ourselves and we need cheerleaders and folks to give us a hand up. And so, two days shy of 12 years, I turn back to our hamster friend. And I remember, this isn't a wall. I mean, the hamster think it's a wall. The hamster doesn't have any word for it whatsoever. This isn't just a wall. It's a step. We can see this, right? We can see that the hamster's ascending. But it's so often what we can forget when we have difficulty. That our walls can actually be steps. Developmental steps of love and maturity. Especially when they happen with one conscious step and one conscious breath. Because we cannot take all the steps at once. And I dare you to try to take more than one breath at once. And yet we do it all the time as human beings. We get so far out ahead of ourselves in our judgment of ourselves and talk so poorly about ourselves. But recognizing that our walls are steps. And in that moment of stretching and growing, we may not know it, but there is some deeper faith that has nothing at all to do with dogma. I think it's the faith, simply like the song we sang, of try. It is the faith of try. 
C.S. Lewis or T.S. Eliot, I mix those two up all the time, two initials, two English guys, both dead. (laughs) But one of them said, for us, there is only the trying. The rest is none of our business. For us, there is only the trying. The rest is none of our business. And so today, in our steps, in our trying, may we recognize that we can, even if we're hanging there by our fingernails, we can take those steps towards health, that faith that goodness is being cultivated in in us, and that our lives are taking on the form of love that truly heals ourselves and this world. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Breathing in and breathing out the Spirit, we are reminded we can't take more than one breath at a time, and yet how often our minds try to solve it, try to fix it, try to get over before we've even given ourselves the permission to take the climb in the first place. And so let's recognize in those moments of the climb, that's forming us, that's shaping us, that's growing us. It is stretching, and yes, it can hurt, but also at the same time, we can recognize that all around us there are climbers as well. There are people facing their walls, and so rather than believing that somehow difficulty or distress is an anomaly in human life, that rather it's truly what unites us all together, and in that communion we find our strength, we find our belonging, and we find that love that does not die that unites us all. Amen.